Thank you so much for tuning in to Encounter AZ's podcast. We are believing that God is going to use this ministry to change your life. Now enjoy the message. I want to read a few verses this morning from John chapter 6. Uh, we're beginning a new series in a couple weeks, and so this is going to be uh, a standalone message. I don't want to jump into another series because in September we're doing a month of prayer. So I hope you'll join with us. We're going to be posting different prayer focuses starting on September 1st on our Facebook and Instagram. If you have social media, connect with us on there. Go like or follow us, and you'll see all the different prayer focuses for each day. And we're just going to press into God in September. We're going to finish this year strong Uh, So we hope you'll join with us in that, and we're going to be doing a series on prayer in September as well on Sundays. And so the title of my message this morning, if you're taking notes, is Commitment. Simple, just commitment. And already some of you are like, I should have missed this morning. I knew I should have slept in. Nobody wants to talk about commitment, but I believe God has given me some things for you this morning, and so we're going to talk about commitment. John chapter 6, starting in verse 65, it says this, he went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Um, How many of you have ever been in a relationship where you came to this point, you're dating someone, you came to this point where you had to actually figure out, like, what is this? And you had to have what we call a DTR. Has anybody ever had to have a DTR, which means define the relationship? Because we we get into new relationships and and, uh, we can end up getting to this point where we say, you know what, what is this? Because we've all been in relationships where people played games, I think. You've been, uh, whether you were in junior high or whether you're in your 30s and you can be in relationships with people playing games. And so it comes to a point where you want to have a discussion and say, what exactly is this relationship? Because I don't really want to play games. I want to know what's going on. I'm tired of the conversations on one day that says, girl, I love you. And on the next day, it says, I'm really busy this weekend. I'm sorry, I can't make time for you. And then it says, "Um, girl, you're all I think about. And then the next week, it's, you know what, I think we're better as friends. And you're like, you know what, what is this? I'm tired of playing games. And we all want to get into this committed area of our relationship where we move beyond this ambiguous, awkward stage where we're going out to dinner and the, and the girl, your girl's never hungry. She just orders a salad and, and covers her mouth the entire time she eats. Guys, I promise you, this is not how she eats, okay? She goes home and she says, she calls her girlfriends and says, I am starving, okay? Let's go get a burger. And, that's, and that's, that's the truth. Or you get past guys, you get in this ambiguous, awkward stage where you don't really know what the relationship is and you, you have a great time and then you think, do I have to wait two days to call her? Or, and you don't really know what's happening and we've all been through these. You come to a point where you say, you know what? I need to know what is this? What is this relationship? And I think uh, just as commitment is important in a relationship with people, commitment is also essential in your relationship with God. Where you come to a place where you have this conversation like we saw in the scripture we just read where Jesus is asking the disciples, what are we? What is this? Jesus says, are you going to leave me too? And, And he's basically saying, let's define what this is. Where are we in this relationship? Um, I remember the story in revelation that John wrote. He's, he's on this island of Patmos, and he had this revelation that God gave him, and, and God's giving him these different messages for all the, these different churches at the time, and he gives him this message for the people in Laodice, Laodicea. Laodicea, that's a mouthful. But he gives him this message, and, he, and it says, I know your deeds. And he says, but you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I want to 
spit you out of my mouth or vomit you out of my mouth. And so basically Jesus is saying, I wish that you knew, I wish you were just hot or cold. I wish that you knew what this relationship was, but if you don't, then I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. He wants clarification. This is a DTR moment where he's saying, are we hot? Are we cold? We got to be one or the other. We can't just play this game in the middle. It's a commitment thing. And you need to know this morning, God doesn't ask for clarification of your commitment because he's insecure and needs a relationship with you. It's just because he knows that he needs a commitment from us for our benefit, not for his. He doesn't need a relationship with us. He just knows that for our good, there are some things that we can only receive that God has for us, his best for us, when we enter into a relationship with him. And so he's saying, for your benefit, what are we? Are we committed? Is this a committed relationship that we're in? Because we see in our text that it reveals something. And let me give you a little background on before with these scriptures we read. This is in John chapter 6. And just before this, Jesus had done a miracle where he fed 5,000 men. And that means there was more women and children. He fed thousands of people with five fish and two loaves and opened the first red lobster in scripture. And he... He took this little boy's lunch. Um, he stole this little boy's lunch. And no, I'm just kidding. But he took it, and he took this little boy's lunch that was not enough. And with Jesus, it became more than enough. It's an awesome story, and it reminds me that whatever you feel like you don't have enough of this morning, if you feel like you don't have enough faith, if you don't have enough energy, if you don't have the strength to get through what you're going through, if you don't have enough courage or resilience or faith, I want you to know, put the little that you have in Jesus' hands, and it'll be more than enough. With Jesus it's more than enough. So Jesus, he, he's done this and he's fed all these people. And so now all of a sudden, Jesus has these new followers. All these people thought, hey, he fed us because people will always follow what feeds them. And so he has all these new followers and they start to, to follow him. And Jesus stops again and he starts to teach once again. And as he's teaching, he says, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can have no part of me. And all these people, they're kind of like, what in the world is he saying? And they, and they get discouraged, and they walked away from a relationship with God over something they misunderstood. See, they thought Jesus was saying, put some barbecue sauce on my arm and start eating. Uh, they thought he was giving this prescription for cannibalism. If you want to follow me, you got to eat me. And so they were discouraged, but they didn't realize that Jesus was not referring to cannibalism. He was referring to the act of communion and oneness and unity, saying, you got to have intimacy with me. And so they understood this, and they got offended over a misunderstanding and abandoned they in a relationship that they needed because of a misunderstanding. How many of us have done that? How many of us have abandoned a relationship that we needed because of a misunderstanding? It's easy to become offended over a misunderstanding. And these people, they, they see this in, this in this text. And then he looks at the 12 disciples and he says, are you going to leave me too? What is this? And he get, this is a DTR uh, conversation. And Peter responds by saying, Lord, where else are we going to go? Meaning after what we've seen and, and what we saw, you fed us. And if you, if you were good when you fed us, then you're good when you ask us of some, something of us too. And if you were good when, when you acted in a way that you expected, then you're good when you act in a way that I didn't expect as well. And if you were good to me, um, all these other times in my lives, life when you said yes, you're also good to me when you say no. And Peter, he responds amazing to this question. You see, he gives this incredible answer because the activity of the crowd did not affect the commitment of the core. 
And he, and he says, Jesus, where else are we going to go? Of course I'll follow you. Because if you're good when I understand you, you're still good when I don't understand you. And I, and I wonder this morning, how many of us have that same commitment to God where when things happen... It doesn't throw our commitment because you're going to come up against opposition. I don't know if you realize that, but your life lived for Jesus will come up against opposition because you have a real enemy, right? The devil who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and you're up against a real enemy. And don't get it twisted. Sometimes we, we give the devil too much credit, and sometimes we don't give him enough credit, and we think, ah, oh, whatever. But Sometimes in church we give him too much credit and we say everything's the devil. You got a flat tire because uh, you had your metal showing on your treads and it was the devil. You, got, you didn't study for a test in school and you failed and it was the devil. Um, you got ketchup all over your shirt and it must be the devil because ketchup is red. Everything's the devil and I don't think that's right. But I think it's also good that we have a healthy understanding that we do have an enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so we have to ask ourselves if we're committed because commitment is so important in our lives. In fact, nothing works without commitment. A diet does not work without commitment. Can I get an amen? I've been there a few weeks ago. I decided I was going to cut down on carbs and, and I was driving one day and I drove past Krispy Kreme in the morning and I thought to myself, God, is this you? Are you? And I said, God, if I pull into Krispy Kreme, and there's a spot right in front of the door. I'll know it's you. And, and do you know what? I pulled in, and there was a spot right in front of the door. I only had to drive around the parking lot seven times. It was like Jericho on the seventh time around. I shouted, and they know I'm just kidding. But, but it, takes, it takes a commitment to diet. It takes a commitment to work out. It takes a commitment to follow through with a plan. A relationship, a marriage takes a commitment you see, my wife and I, we, we learned a long time ago that when we argue, we'll never say the D word, divorce. What do you think I was saying? What do you think I was talking about? This is church. But we're, we're committed, and in the moment we decided, you know what, no matter what, we are committed. Our relationship went to the next level because commitment is so important. It's key. Everything is tied to it because you're going to face opposition. And the Bible refers to commitment in a, in a word it uses more often in the scripture, but it's talking about the same thing, is the word faithfulness. See, it's a godly trait because God is faithful. And, and we, when we grew up singing hymns in church about God's faithfulness, and I'm sure many of you that grew up in church know the hymn that says, Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. God is faithful, and, and words that describe God and describe faithfulness is, are faithful, reliable, dependable, and trustworthy. In fact, the Bible even goes far, so far as to say that when we are faithless, God is still faithful because he cannot deny himself. This is amazing. That means that God is not faithful to me. His faithfulness to me is not dependent on my commitment and faithfulness to him. It means he's faithful and committed to me because he's already committed to be faithful to me. His faithfulness and commitment is based on his own word, not my word. How many of you can testify and say, God has been good to me even when I wasn't good to him? If you're sitting here this morning, I promise you that God has been good to you in your life. He's been way better to you than you have been to him. Because we're all human and we've all been in the place where we think, God, why would you love someone as unfaithful as me? And his response would be, because I've already committed to love you and be faithful to you. He's faithful. The enemy understands the power 
of faithfulness in our lives. And because it's so powerful, the the enemy knows that if I can attack this place, I can affect other areas of their life. If I can attack this most, one of the most important places in their life, then if I can get that area wrong, other areas will be wrong. And if they get that area right, other areas of their life will be right. And so we're attacked in this area of our faithfulness and our commitment um, because the enemy knows if they can get that right, their prayer life is going to change. If they can get that thing right, their relationships are going to change. Their thinking patterns are going to change. If they can get the commitment right and and go after Jesus, they're going to be more filled with peace and joy and faith and purpose. If they fix that thing, it fixes a lot of things. But he knows if I break that thing, it breaks a lot of things. And so there's such an attack on this area, especially in this generation. This generation seems to not understand the value of faithfulness. It, this generation of um, young people, they jump from job to jobs. Companies say millennials are an employer's worst nightmare because they average a certain job for six months before they jump to another job. But it's not just uh, the workplace. We, we jump from thing to thing, commitment to commitment. We jump from relationship to relationship or church to church. And we don't understand the value of commitment. We jump from being on, on fire from God for God one day, spoken to our lives, and the next day being complacent in our relationship with God. We jump back and forth. Avert, you give me some Bible for this, Pastor Brandon. There's a scripture and there's a story in the Bible that talks about, I think, faithfulness, and it reveals what I'm saying here is there's a woman with an issue of blood for 12 years. And so she gets to Jesus and finally gets healed. But this issue of blood had affected more than one area of her life. It had affected her finances. She'd been to all the doctors and the doctor bills, I'm sure, were piling in. And there was nobody that can help her. It affected her health, obviously. But it also affected her relationships because she was, had to be quarantined because she was unclean and sick. And so all of her loved ones would have had to be distanced from her. But as soon as Jesus got to the root and got to the one thing and healed her, all the other things got better too. It was a root issue. And I'm telling you this morning, I felt like God impressed it on me to tell you that your faithfulness and your commitment to God is a root issue. And you're wondering why everything else in your life isn't coming together and feels like it's falling apart. And what am I doing wrong? I'm telling you, God is saying, if you will commit and get that right, other things in your life will get right. It takes going after Jesus and saying, you know what? I believe this is a root issue. And and I believe commitment is going to unlock the door to the next level in your life in Jesus name. It's about committing. And this fear of commitment mentality that we see in our culture, it's carried over into our faith. And so I want you to ask yourself this morning, is your, is your faith about convenience or is it about loving God? Because when you come up, up, come up against opposition, it reveals real quick what your faith is based on. Are you, are you having faith uh, in God because you want him to co-sign the choices that you want to make in your life and what you want to do with your life? Are you saying, God, I just want to love you no matter what comes in my life. I'm committed and I want to be faithful to you and to your word. Because the Bible reveals some things about faithfulness. It reveals the reward of faithfulness and commitment. So I want to tell you three things that the Bible shows us as a reward of faithfulness and commitment this morning. The first one, it claims that faithfulness brings promotion. Faithfulness brings promotion. In Matthew 25, we see Jesus tell a story about this uh, landowner, and he gives these three servants. He says, I'm going away for a while, and I'm, and I'm going to give you things of value. These are monetary things. The Bible calls them talents, and uh, this is actually money. And he says, I'm going to give one of you five talents. I'm going to give 
another one of you two talents, and I'm going to give you the third one, one talent. He goes away for a while, and he comes back, and he goes to the man who, who had five talents, and, and the Bible says something interesting to him because he says, you know what, I knew I knew how you were, so I went and I, and I invested these five talents, and when you came back, here, now I have those five that you gave me, but I also have five more for you. And I invested them wisely, and, and the landowner, he says to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. Now I will make you ruler over many. Promotion. Because you are faithful in what you have now, I can trust you with, with promotion and what I have for you next. Because you're faithful in the amount of influence I've given you, I can trust you with more influence. You see, the key to where you want to go is being faithful right where you are today. It's not about elevating yourself or saying, God, I shouldn't be here. I should be doing so-and-so. I should be leading worship. I should be up on stage. I should be uh, doing this and overseeing all of these things. I should be at work. I should be the one who got the promotion. You know what? That's not the way that the culture of God thinks. The culture of God says, I'm going to be faithful right here. And when God's time, he's going to promote me to the next place. He's going to give me what he has in store for me. Faithfulness brings promotion. The second thing it brings is faithfulness brings protection. I love the story of Daniel, and in Daniel 6 specifically, Daniel, he works in this hostile work environment. You think your work environment is bad? Uh, try working in Daniel's workplace, where if you don't listen and you get caught doing wrong, you'd be thrown in a lion's den, okay? But, but Daniel, he's working with these people who don't share his value system, and he worked with the spirit of excellence. In fact, the Bible says he had an excellent spirit, and so these men, they don't, Daniel, they, he used to be working with these men. Now he's been promoted over these men. And, these, and Daniel's really excited about his promotion. But I don't know, it's weird because these other guys aren't really excited about Daniel's promotion. Because not everyone's going to get excited when you get exalted to what, forget what God has for you and you get promoted. But these men, they think, we need to find a reason to, to accuse this man, Daniel. And so they start looking at his life, and, and the Bible says that he had this spirit, his excellent spirit. They could not find a thing to accuse Daniel for. They ended up um, just looking at his religion and making this law saying, oh, you have to worship this statue of Nebuchadnezzar, and if you don't. The only way they could get him to fall was based on his worship of God because they could find nothing wrong with him because he had an excellent spirit. Another way to put this was he was committed and faithful. In everything he did, he was faithful. See, Daniel didn't even know that these people were looking for a reason to throw him under the bus. But what God showed me is that Daniel's commitment protected him in his absence. When they didn't even know these men were talking about him and looking to accuse him, his faithfulness protected him. And I need you to know this morning, if you live faithful and committed to God, in your absence, your faithfulness will protect you. Someone will come to me and say, did you, some come to you and say, did you hear what Pastor Brent said? I can't believe, he's terrible. What did he say? And then you'll say, he didn't say that. That doesn't sound like Pastor Brent at all. You know why? Because your faithfulness and your commitment will protect you in your absence. But I get people who come to me and they say, Pastor Brent, they said I'm talking about them. Yeah, but even if you weren't talking about them, you talk about other people all the time, so how can you get mad at them for cashing a check that your life wrote? Pastor Brent, they, he, he thinks I cheated on him. Yeah, but you're always lying to him. So why wouldn't he think that? Why would he trust you? But your faithfulness in your absence will protect you. 
that they wouldn't do that. Daniel wouldn't do that. He's a good worker. There's nothing that you could bring against Daniel because we know him and we know his commitment and his faithfulness. So when he's absent, I don't believe what you're saying negatively about him. It protected him. A couple months ago, I told you a true story and I was, I was open with you and told you that while I was a teenager, I hit a tree while skiing. Shut up. Don't laugh. Um, and I remember when I went to the hospital, the doctor actually said to me, and in this time I was in high school, I was playing sports, and so I was working out regularly and thought I was tough, but the doctor said, if it wasn't for you working out regularly and strengthening the muscles in your back, you probably would have broken your back. And because I was faithful in one area in the gym at that time of my life, it protected me in another area when I was out skiing and hit a tree. Your faithfulness will protect you in your absence, even in unrelated areas in your life. If you're faithful and committed and do everything you do as unto the Lord, it will protect you in your absence. The third thing uh, the Bible says is that faithfulness preserves us. Because even when God doesn't protect us, If he doesn't protect you from something, he will preserve you through it. And so we see this in in the story of Daniel's peers, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Abednego. And uh, we see everyone bows and worships this statue of Nebuchadnezzar in this time. And they say our faith doesn't allow us to bow to any other gods except for our God. And they don't really like this in that culture. They say if you don't worship the statue, we're going to throw you into this furnace. And the way I think the story should have gone, if I'm God, is, is to say they stood up for what they believed, and the king said, wow, I honor you for, being, for standing up for what's right, and I'm not going to throw you in the furnace. That's not what happened. The king says, fine, heat up the furnace seven times hotter. Yes, seven times hotter, and they heated it up and threw them in the furnace. And our God, they said, before they threw them in, is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow. Even if he doesn't. See, it's one thing to have an if he does commitment. It's a whole other thing to have an even if he doesn't commitment. I think we we get this idea in our culture that this commitment is based on what God does. And if he acts the way I think he should act, then I'll do, you know, I'll continue to serve him. But if he acts in a way that I don't expect, then I don't believe in him anymore. Or you know what, he's not doing what I expected. But this, and we see in the scripture, is faithfulness. It preserved them through the fire because they said, even if he doesn't do what I expect him to do, I'm not going to bow before anyone else before God. My commitment will carry me and preserve me through that thing. And if the door opens, I'm committed, and if the door closes, I'm committed. If, if real commitment is only, it's only revealed in inconvenience. It's only revealed when you come up against opposition, and these men, they stood up against opposition, and, and we see they get thrown in the fiery furnace, and they make a stand in there. The, one of the servants, he looks at them, at the king outside the furnace, and says, didn't we throw three guys in there? And he says, because I see four, and one of them looks like the Son of God. This is awesome. I love the Old Testament. I love these things in the Old Testament. They're called Christophanies, where we see these, before Jesus was in Mary's belly and born into humanity, we see these, like, sneak appearances of Jesus in the Old Testament, where, where Jesus shows up in the fiery furnace that he did not deliver them. He did not protect these men from it, but he preserved them in it. And so they come out, and, and they come out of this fiery furnace, and, and 
they were preserved. The Bible says they didn't even smell like smoke. How many of you can testify and say, you know what, what I've been through, it should have killed me and I should have come out smelling like smoke and been different, but God preserved me and I'm still here and I'm still standing and I'm still pushing and I'm still having faith and I'm still believing God for great things because he preserved me through it. I went through it, but I'm not, I came through it as if I didn't even smell like what I went through. Because you've been through, you've met some people who've been through some things, but they come out smelling like it. If you've met someone who doesn't trust anyone, it's because they've been through something and they came out smelling like it. If if you've met someone who is cynical and pessimistic, it's because they came out of the fire smelling like it. But if you can come through something and and you can say, you know what, I still have faith and I still have optimism and I still believe the best is yet to come, that tells me the enemy did not win and you went through some things, but you came out smelling fresh and new because God can preserve you through some things because their faithfulness and their commitment preserved them through what God didn't protect them from. Your commitment and your faithfulness will preserve you. But the enemy, he doesn't want you to experience promotion. He doesn't want you to experience protection. Or he doesn't want you to be preserved. So he attacks your commitment. And commitment is actually an expression of your faith. It believe, you say, God, I believe that I will continue to do what I can do and commit to you. And you're going to do what you can do. You know what faith is? It's actually believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse. Have you ever been there where it doesn't make sense, but I believe in reverse it's going to make sense. So God, I'll believe, even though you're taking me through a fiery trial, that it's going to make sense in reverse. So scripture tells us to commit. And I want to encourage you in three quick areas uh, before I call the worship team up of where you need to commit in your relationship with God. And the first one is in our participation. You need to commit to participation in the body of Christ, participation in your relationship with God. We can get so complacent and just and sit and think, you know what, I'm content right where I am. I don't think that we understand what it was like to be a Christian in the early church or even a Christian around the world today. We have everything that we need. None of us are probably concerned where we're going to sleep tonight or what we're going to eat tonight if we're honest with ourselves. We have everything we need and it leads us to be complacent and say, you know what, I'm good right where I am. But God desires for us to commit to participation in our relationship with him. It's not a passive relationship. He wants us to do something in his body and use our gifts for his kingdom. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Your presence here this morning shows me that you have some desire at least to commit. I mean, you say, you know what, on Sunday morning, the first day of the week, I want to commit the first to God. I want to commit the first day. I want to be there and participate. And, and I love that because in the scripture, when we give the first, it represents the whole. That's why you see people in the scriptures taking, in the Old Testament, they'd take their livestock and they would give the first of their livestock to God and God would bless the whole of it. When we bring our tithes and offering, it's representative of the whole when we give our first to God. And as we remain committed in our participation in community with God's family, we, per- we position ourselves for promotion. We position ourselves for protection and preservation because I've placed myself in community with other believers and putting God first in my life in the first place. Um, God rewards faithfulness, and I'm not, and I'm not here to preach uh, 
manipulation that says that you, if you give, you'll get. That's not what I'm saying. I'm preaching expectation, that if I'm doing everything I can do and participating and giving my all to God, then he's going to do everything he promised to do in the word. And so that's why I'd give my best to God. As you participate, God is going to honor that. The second thing I think that we need to commit it to is we need to commit in our prayer. I, I have two quotes I wrote down. Mark Batterson, he said, when we work, we work, but when we pray, God works. And one other author said, when we get to heaven, God may open a closet full of things, and when we ask what all of that is, he'll say, that's all the things I wanted to give you that you never asked me for. And I think we get so complacent in our prayer, we don't commit to pray and to spend time with God, and what happens is we reduce our prayers to the level of our disappointment. Some of you have prayed for things before and you've been so disappointed and, and haven't seen it in your time and the way you thought, so now you've reduced your prayers to maybe I pray before I eat and I, I pray before I go to bed and that's it. But there's some things that you used to expect from God and you used to believe God for, but you've, you've reduced your prayer life and your commitment to pray to the level of your disappointment. And I think God is calling us to commit to spend time with him to pray. And that's why we're going to be delving in the month of September into prayer. We settle for ordinary when God gives us access to the supernatural. God wants us to live lives that are expecting the supernatural. But when we want to quit, we don't get what we prayed for. We don't get what we prayed for, and all of a sudden this disappointment comes into my heart, and I say, you know what, I don't, I don't want to pray for that anymore. It's, I get my expectations up, I get my hopes up, and then I, I just want to give up when I don't see it. But Jesus tells us a parable in the scripture about not giving up in our prayer life and persisting in prayer. And if I still have breath, I need to keep praying. If I'm still here, there's people in my family that I can intercede for. If you're still here, God's not done with you, and you are a believer full of the Holy Spirit, you need to commit to pray and spend time going after Jesus, because it's not even just about you, it's about those around you, and we have a limited time to intercede and to say, you know what, God, I'm going to do everything I can. I'm committing to go after you, Jesus. Can I get the worship team to come back up? The last thing that I think faithfulness and commitment calls us to commit to is we need to commit to praise. Commit to praise and worship because praise is gratitude for God's goodness. You know what praise is, is doing? It's saying, you know what, I can't focus on what God hasn't done. I'm going to remember what he has done and praise out of an expectancy for what he's getting ready to do. Because we get so focused on what God hasn't done, it can steal our praise real quick. Instead of saying, you know what, look where I used to be. Do you know where I came from? And if God brought me from there and he brought me here, I might not have what I'm looking for yet, but I'm believing and I'm asking for an encore in the future of what God did in the past. God, I lift up my voice and I lift up my hands and say, God, bring it on. Bring on all your promises and everything I saw in the past and I don't have it yet and I might be in the fiery furnace this morning going through it, but in the name of Jesus, I'm coming through and you're preserving me and there's things coming in my future. I'm coming with expectancy. I'm committed. Do you know you are here this morning because of one man who committed? There was a man who was falsely accused and arrested and beaten and mocked and hung on a cross. Do you know what kept Jesus Christ on the cross? It wasn't the nails, and I, I've heard it preached before that it was, the, it was love, and maybe that's true, but can I tell you it's also true that commitment kept Jesus on the cross. 
because he was so committed to you and saying, I will give everything if it means I can have a relationship with, with them. We're here today because he was committed to you. And I need you to know there are other people in this city, in your family, in your workplace that are depending on your commitment to say, you know what, even if it's not even about me, even if I don't receive what I want, God, would you bless my kids? God, would you bring my kids back? Lord, if, it, if it's not even about me, would you, would you reach that person in my workplace? God, you brought me through addiction and all those people around me in this city that are addicted. God, I'm going to start to intercede and pray. Lord, would you do for them what you did for me, Jesus? I'm going to be faithful and committed because it's not even just about me. There are other people depending on my commitment. And I know some of you here this morning, you're tired. You have commitment fatigue and you've lost heart. And you think to yourself, is it even worth it? I'm tired of pressing. But I love Acts chapter 4. It says, times of refreshing come from the Lord. And I believe God wants to refresh his church to say, you know what? We're not finished yet. Like I said last week, the buzzer hasn't gone off. And I'm going to keep pressing. And I'm going to get a second win to do everything God has for me. If you're a runner, you understand the term second win because it's actually a phenomenon that happens when you run. You you. You run until you get exhausted and you want to give up. But if you keep pressing, there's this, there's this second wind that comes over you where all of a sudden the endorphins and the adrenaline in your body, they begin to flow and you can run harder and faster than you could before. I believe God wants to bring a second wind to his church. I know you're tired of pressing and you were tired of believing and you wanted to give up, but I believe Jesus this morning is saying, keep pressing because a second wind is coming and I believe the second wind of the Holy Spirit is coming on the church. The first one came on the day of Pentecost and it's still here, but I believe God is waiting to refresh his church and pour out his spirit like never before. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just declare we need you. We need your Holy Spirit. We need your second wind, Jesus, because in our minds we're committed, but this morning we bow our hearts to commit before you. Years ago, we, we used to go with the youth and the teenagers to this place called Slide Rock, and I've been there sometimes with my family, but it's up by Sedona. If you've been, they, they have these, these cliffs that you can jump off of if you're dumb. And, and I was there, and I'm looking, and, and I was there with uh, some family, some friends, and, and we went up to this cliff, and it was 40 feet from the water. And all these people are jumping, and I'm like, I'm not going to jump. I'll just go. So I go up there, and I'm just looking over. And, the, and I'm like, wow, that, that's really high. Who would do this? I wouldn't do this. And they're like, you just got to commit. You can't think about it. You just got to run and jump before you could talk yourself out of it. And I'm like, I don't think I want to do this. No, that doesn't sound good. And, and they're like, okay, that's fine. Can you move out of the way so this 11-year-old girl can do it then, please? Because she really wants to go. And so I said, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. If the 11-year-old girl can do it, I'm doing it. And I stood back and I ran. And in a moment, I committed. And in the next few moments, I regretted my commitment. But you know what happened? When I hit that water, there was a rush of adrenaline that said, you know what? I did it. And I didn't fear what the future held. I just trusted that when I landed, it would be safely. And, and as I was thinking about this this week, I started to think about my kids and and, I ha and my daughter came to me a couple weeks ago and she said, Dad, I'm starving. And I said, you're not starving. You don't even know what hungry is, okay? You're just bored. And she said, I am starving, Dad. And I, said, I took her to the cupboard. I said, okay, um, do you want? And she said, yes. 
And I said, well, you got to let me finish a sentence. I, how about, do you want? She said, yes, I want it. And I said, how do you, how do you, you don't even know what I'm going to say yet. She said, dad, I'm so hungry. It doesn't matter what you say. I'll eat it. And I believe God is looking for a church that will say, God, I don't know what you ask. I don't care what you ask. The answer is already yes. And I'm ready to go for it. And I'm standing back. And you know what? I'm not going to think about it because I'm not going to let the enemy talk me out of it. I'm going to say, God, I'm committed to you. And what you ask me to do, I'll jump. Will you jump with me this morning and say, Jesus, I commit because it's not even just about me. It's about my family. It's about my friends. It's about loving you, Jesus, just for the prize of knowing you, God. And this morning we commit our hearts and we bow them before you. Will you worship for a couple minutes with me this morning and just say, Jesus, I'm jumping. I'm not going to talk myself out of it. I'm not going to think about it. God, I want all of you. And I believe with it is coming promotion and protection and preservation through every fiery trial. The opposition will come, but my commitment is going to protect me. Worship him with me for a couple minutes.